founder and artistic director of the dance company AIM. Kyle Abraham is an acclaimed dancer, choreographer, and a MacArthur Genius Grant Fellow. In addition to performing and creating new works for his own company, Kyle has been commissioned by companies including Royal Ballet, New York City Ballet, and Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. From his earliest beginnings in motion, Kyle has drawn inspiration from the art world around him. For me, dance has always been an interesting thing because I guess maybe dance, music, visual art and all its forms, all these things were kind of up against each other or in conversation with each other since I was a little kid. You're listening to Moving Moments, the podcast that explores the dance world's most accomplished and groundbreaking artists. I'm your host, Alicia Graf Mack, Dean and Director of Dance at the Juilliard School. During each episode, you'll hear me talk with some of my closest friends and most trusted colleagues as we sit down to hear about their creative process and how they are changing the dance world on and off the stage. We are here back in my office at Juilliard, and I remember when I first assumed this role, and you were working in the building using the space to rehearse your company, and somehow you wandered in or something like that. And we both just stood right here and kind of just chuckled, like, how the heck did we get here? It's amazing. It's amazing. You are now one of the most applauded and recognized choreographers of our time. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, even when I'm like looking at AIM rep, um, or even works I've made other places that I would maybe consider putting on on AIM, it's a really tricky thing because I watch them. I'm like, okay, I see the flaw in this. I see the flaw in that. And I wonder if that work will hold up in however many years. It's no way to know. I'm sure it will. I feel like your work is part of a canon of contemporary Mm -hmm. dance that I'm sure nobody will see the flaws that you see. (laughs) I don't know about that thing, so. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's start with the title of your company, AIM, because I think there was at one point where it was Abraham in Motion. Can you talk a little bit about the change? Yeah. Well, (laughs) I've wanted to change the name for well over 10 years. I think there's a lot to the maybe even generic nature of it being AIM Mm -hmm. as an acronym uh, that can actually benefit so many more things and talk to that much more of what the company is, Mm -hmm. artists in motion, artists in a movement. Like there's so much more that I'd like to think that the company represents Mm -hmm. beyond myself. So let's go back. Sure. Tell me a little (laughs) bit about your upbringing, where you're from, and how you began a journey in dance. So I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, wearing on my sleeve, although I don't have that tattoo yet. I'm going to maybe at some point get some tattoo, but I always get worried about Pennsylvania voting. So Mm. (laughs) but it's still in my blood. I love Mm. my hometown. But yeah, I think for me, dance has always been an interesting thing because I guess maybe dance, music, uh, visual art and all its forms, all these things were kind of up against each other or in conversation with each other since I was a little kid. My parents, it wasn't that we came from money or anything like that, but they exposed me to a lot. They would take me to private art classes, private painting classes at Carnegie Mm. Mellon University. Yeah, I mean, my sister was in them. She's five years older than me. But yeah, it's like, I think having that exposure or on Sundays, we would go to brunch and hear live jazz. Mm. I grew up playing a bunch of instruments, the piano, French horn, cello, all the things. I told my parents I was interested in dance. 
being supportive parents, they took me to check out the performing arts middle school that we mm. had in Pittsburgh at the time. Mm. And nobody was dancing. The kids are running around, oh. acting crazy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is not for me. <laughs> and then one of my best friends at the time took me to see the Joffrey Ballet performing this program, Billboards, mm-hmm. which was... Oh, I saw right? Billboards. I, got to, I still got the VHS. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had a t-shirt. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. But yes, yeah, so I went to that only because it was something Prince. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know what this is, but I'm a huge Prince fan. I'm going to just see, see Prince and some dance something. And it, like, blew my mind. I was a big rave kid, and I went after that show to my friend's house, and we were playing our drum and bass music <laughs> and, like, dancing in her living room. And everyone was like, oh, Kyle, you should audition for the musical. And so making this a shorter, long-winded story, it's been this thing where after that opportunity of seeing the Joffrey, everything has been this beautiful suggestion and support. Mm -hmm. Of friends telling me that I should audition for the musical. The directors of the musical from my high school giving me a scholarship to take dance class over the summer. Those teachers saying, oh, you should come to Performing Arts High School and you can just go half day if you want to do your academics at your other school. And then like this continuation, those teachers exposing me to artists like Ulysses Dove Mm -hmm. and Garth Fagan and Bill T. Jones and B.B. Miller. Um, So all that suggestion then leads me to purchase, then leads me to X, Y, and Z. So it's just a lot of that support and suggestion. That's so beautiful. When you were little, even before thinking about formal training... When did you find yourself in motion and how did it make you feel? Well, the first one of the early memories of me dancing is or it being in motion is being kicked out of Catholic school on the first day. Oh. <laughs> you know, got some new um some new penny loafers. Okay. I was practicing my dirt. You know, they're like, yeah, no, this kid, this kid can't be here. No. Oh, so, no. You know, so it's, it's definitely an interesting entry into dance, I guess uh, you could say. It's that and then going to church camp and making dances to songs like Poison by mm-hmm. Bill DeVoe, which oh. one should not be making at church camp. No. <laughs> no. But I was choreographing. <laughs> Things like that that I, I remember. And again, my sister being five years older than me, she would be going to different types of house parties and she would sometimes want me to go because I danced all the time around the house. And sometimes I would go, but this other time I didn't want to be on display, especially growing up the way we did in Pittsburgh. Uh, a lot of the spaces we were in were predominantly white spaces. So growing up in the 80s, they're like, oh, here comes um, here comes Heathcliff or yeah. here comes, what's his name from the different strokes? Arnold. They're like, oh, oh hey, Arnold. Arnold. So, you know, and like, yeah, no, because I was the only young black boy really mm-hmm. with like a pretty jovial smile or whatever mm-hmm. you spoke a little bit about prince hey, what uh-huh. type of music <laughs> were you inspired to move to yeah that's a layered a, a layered answer maybe um yeah music is such a support system for everyone i'd like to think but even in thinking about moving and maybe being in relationship to what i'm interested in as a choreographer it's interesting for me to think about artists like Prince or someone like Morrissey, who's like the complete opposite mm. of Prince in a lot of ways. Yes. But that's a lot of what I was listening to, if not listening to like hip hop and drum and bass mm-hmm. and house music, because um, that was a lot of my experience going to a lot of raves and house parties and hip hop parties and things like that growing up. I mean, all, all that plays a part, especially thinking about the social dance element, because really for me, and probably for a lot of people, even if it's not getting its credit, social dance really is the base of improvisation, yes, you know, absolutely. in its truest forms. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that experience has been it made a huge impact on the way I approach making movement and making dance in a way that listening to Prince and Morrissey and connecting to emotion has also played a massive impact on the work that I'd like to make. That you have been making yeah, too. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder then when you started your, I'm going to put it in 
air quotes, <laughs> formal training. All uh, right. Did you find that same sense of release and connection? I mean, you know, even as you think about that conversation around like the, with the formal quotes of formal training, it was the first training I had, period. Mm-hmm. There was nothing that was seen as a kind of a codified kind of form, mm-hmm. perhaps. I don't know, maybe it's because my first thing was jazz. It was, in some ways, it was about like learning a sequence, maybe. But I, it wasn't, I don't know, I never felt, I don't, it could be the people I was surrounded by, the people I was in class with, or my teacher, Buddy Thompson, who yeah. was like an amazing jazz teacher. I don't know. Like, I wanted to learn how to do those Luigi arms. I wanted to learn how to do a hitch kick and a crossball <laughs> change because yeah. it was kind of like dance math. Mm-hmm. It was like interesting things to consider. But I wasn't ever feeling bad about myself. Mm-hmm. I think I just wanted to keep working and learning and getting all the information. And do you remember what it felt like the first time you performed? Yeah. Oh, well, hmm, like that's tricky because it's two things. The very first performance I remember is the Fat Boy song, Wipeout, by okay. the Fat Boys from the 80s. Uh, I did it for the talent show at the Boys and Girls Club. Yeah, doing a solo to that. It was like a lip sync. I remember that, but like, it's funny because I started thinking a few years back about when the stage fright came in for me, because mm-hmm. I didn't have it at all in the beginning. So. didn't realize that you... Oh my God, terrible stage fright. <laughs> suffered from stage fright. Oh, it's bad. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, whatever, I'm an open person. I almost peed on myself on stage back in 2014 when that New York Lab Arts and I was the resident artist. Mm-hmm. I'm like sitting on this bench and I realized why, like how that happens when people like pee on themselves. Like mm-hmm. my leg was shaking so fast. My bladder was like, you know... Luckily, the person sitting next to me, a uh, dancer, Jordan Morley, he touched my leg, which it worked, granted, in the choreography. Yeah, no, but it's bad. You know, I feel like the last time I saw you perform live was with the Merce Cunningham. Oh, the 100 uh, solos? 100 solos. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, the work is so difficult, and it yeah. feels so naked in terms of just the and wearing a unitard yeah okay. you're, you're, i mean you and you were wearing a, a bright green <laughs> unitard you know that's my roommate i'm like wait how you gonna give me the unitard <laughs> <laughs> but also in its form it's just so simple and complex how did you overcome stage fright in that situation since 2016 i started focusing on my yoga practice in a different way and a little mm. bit more intensely working with this guy, Chris Reed, who I adore out in L.A. And doing his practice, there are a couple things where I'm, like, working on an inversion or something, and that it have it. And then the next class, I would be, like, in my head, and I would mess up. And I realized the only thing that's messing me up is me, and mm-hmm. I'm in my head. So, and I remembered about, like, the things that I loved most about performing in the past was actually losing myself. I just have to really escape into that and believe in that. And those are the times that I can get past it. Mm-hmm. I also have like this whole other not so healthy relationship with just failure, even if it's like me being the person gauging whether or not something's a failure success. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's like if I can get through a show without being in my head, yay, I get an A. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I used to, when I was doing Restless Creature with Wendy Whalen, I'd get myself a a Shirley Temple. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's like, I don't don't know what my thing would be now because it's too much sugar, but... (laughs) Yeah, I think you know, it's just those small small victories. Yeah. And if I'm in my head, it's like maybe it's in a healthy way. When do you feel that the fear started to creep in or the fear of failure, the judgment yeah. of your work? I, I think probably a lot of it, I mean, it's in several doses. So throughout college, didn't have it. I was like good to go, had a great time. 
Doug Verone was doing a new work um, on, on the students I purchased, and I auditioned. I got the call back. I felt good. I felt like I was like, I got this, you know. <laughs> um, and there was a moment of improv, and like nobody had done any text. So I'm like, I'm gonna do some text. I feel mm-hmm. good. I feel free. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Let me just say something. Do something. And I didn't get that job. Larry Clark was my my advisor that year. He brought me into his office. Said, you know, Kyle, you're you're just always off doing Kyle. You need to learn how to do Doug or do whatever. So I'm like, I have that on my heart. Mm-hmm. And then I go and dance with Bill T. Jones briefly. And I'm really in this really tricky place because the thing that I always loved about Bill T. Jones, watching those videos in the, in the 90s, like when I first started dancing, was how different every dancer looked. And then I'm learning this, these phrases that are like, maybe they were like, tens on an eight or something mm-hmm. so you're really using your dance math and i was in this weird place of like do i allow myself to color the material while right. staying in these counts or am i supposed to look like whomever else and i think like doing that and knowing the pressure of if i mess up on stage i'm ruining the opportunity for someone else to be inspired by bill t jones work or whoever mm. else's work i'm performing so like those were moments where i really got in my head in a really really dangerously bad way and i think uh yeah in 2014 when i had these premieres for new york live arts this was the first work people were seeing after me receiving the macarthur so i was like there is so much pressure Ooh. and the work wasn't finished it it eventually got finished but Sorry, New York, you did not see the finished product. If you were in <laughs> Richmond, Virginia. There you yeah. go. <laughs> However many months later. Uh, so that was tricky. But those those are the places where it came up. Really interesting. <laughs> when you were preparing to graduate and trying to figure out what do I do next, mm. what was the conversation in your mind or even with your supporters, family, friends, about what is the next step going to be after college? Well, I, again, it was like really focused on choreography in a, a really big way. I would, you know, we had two different comp teachers, uh, choreography teachers in, in Purchase, Kazuko Hirabayashi and Neil Greenberg. And I was in Neil's class, but I would also see what Kaz's class was doing. <laughs> and I would try and do all those assignments too, and maybe mm-hmm. just show them in my class and get feedback. Um, and then I would apply for, you know, grants and things that you could apply for in college. Um, and in a lot of cases, I, you know, did well and we get those, the, that funding. So I was making dances at that time. I think part of what was happening for me after college was thinking about going to London to, or not London, to Bristol, England, actually, to mm-hmm. study music composition. And so that kind of made this dance part of a journey a little bit more complicated than I had intended. There's a story and a half there that I'll skip for you. <laughs> okay. um, but um, yeah, I wound up dancing for the company, for Bill's company for a brief period of time. And di- yeah, didn't stay long and eventually wind up leaving New York as well because mm. shortly after I got fired from Bill, I also Ooh. found out maybe a week later that my dad was diagnosed with an early onset of dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm. So it's like thinking about, and, and that was like the same time I signed my lease on my, my, my apartment. So it's like a lot of these things were like on my head mm-hmm. and my heart to figure out. And I didn't have any qualms about, um, you know, being fired from Bill T because I actually said to him when he let me go, I said, now I can tell you how much I love you because if I said it before, it would look like I was kissing up to you. <laughs> um, so yeah, and he and I have always had a really beautiful relationship. 
when we have another episode, yeah. our part two, we can talk about your oh, yeah, get uh, some sponsors. That's a long one. <laughs> your Bill T. Jones time. Yeah, that's a long one. He is such a big person, and yeah. I, I mean that with complete admiration. Sure, yeah. What did you learn, even mm. from your short time working with him? I mean, I learned a lot of things. One thing I'll say just about the man himself is. It's just so exciting and beautiful to see someone who loves learning and knowledge as much as he does. Mm -hmm. The biggest takeaways from that company were actually from hearing about how they ran the company and about the dancers' needs and how Mm. those things were negotiated played a major impact on the way that I chose to lead Mm. my company, thinking about... Yeah, um, making sure there's massages after a certain number of tours mm-hmm. or addressing a hard floor. All these things that like were things that were coming up in conversation, mm-hmm. if not acted upon. Those were things that just really, really stuck with me. Through all the ups and downs, I, I hear, you know, as a very young person, your first job out that you were fired <laughs> <laughs> or that your father was suffering from this illness and then trying to figure out where you're going to live and signing a lease and doing mm-hmm. like grown people <laughs> things and having adult responsibilities how did you survive the ups and downs Mm, i honestly i mean i had very loving parents and because i had such supportive parents i really mean that in the way of like telling me i could do anything Mm -hmm. i think it's like knowing that i could call my mom whenever and Mm -hmm. she could call me and my mom and i we were like legit besties and these are folks who didn't come from money so i think having parents like that in my life I think just made me feel like I could so can you speak a little bit about how your experiences as a dancer informed how you wanted to run your company oh gee I guess maybe it's just a lot of it's just with care Mm -hmm. um yeah I think you know jokingly thinking about that time after graduate school and thinking about okay well I don't have money, but I could bring some snacks, you know, (laughs) and me just working to see what I could do. And in some cases, it's like, okay, well, I can't afford this cast of seven. So (laughs) I'm either going to do a solo or I'm going to do a trio, (laughs) you know, and you can't get salty if dancers are leaving the company to join Wicked or whatever show they're going to go join because it's going to pay the bill. Um, But it still hurts Mm -hmm. because, you know, like, oh, I wish I could support Mm -hmm. however I could. So I remember hearing that your goal was to make sure that your dancers had consistent work and also had benefits. Yeah. And that's so huge, especially for a small company. Yeah. When your body is your instrument, you have to keep it healthy. We try and do our best, our executive director and I, to make sure that the dancers are supported with a salary. Mm-hmm. 52 weeks and wow. health care and a retirement plan and body mm-hmm. work credits um, because we really want them to feel cared for and to know that they're cared for. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if maybe we could use one of your pieces as like a case study. Okay. Um, oh, did she pick a piece? I chose Ooh, I radio she... show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Just yeah. because it feels like a deeply personal work. And uh, one I of... I was nodding audience, but you can see me. <laughs> so how did you start? Oh, thanks. I mean, well, it's interesting you picked that work for a host of reasons. The radio show was a pivotal work for me and the company because... The piece that I made right before that was called The Dripping Kind, mm. which is an ensemble work for the company and a solo for myself called Brick. Both mm-hmm. pieces premiered at New York Lab Arts before it was New York Lab Arts, but mm-hmm. it was Dance Theater Workshop. And when I presented those works, people felt like the solo and the, and the group work were made by different choreographers. And they were very much me. I started uh, sonically with just the sound of like um, just room tone, just playing a lot of just tone so that I wasn't being too influenced by 
different changes in the music yeah. or lyrics or whatnot, especially given the themes of that work, being my father dealing with Alzheimer's and aphasia, so losing his ability to speak, uh, all of that played a huge impact on the work. Mm. And the only urban radio station in Pittsburgh, Hot 106, being taken <laughs> off the air. So thinking about the loss of that, uh, mm. I wanted that to be a really generative place for me choreographically. Yeah. That's interesting because I follow you on social media. Hey. <laughs> Kyle Abraham, the original recipe. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't just get Kyle Abraham. Yeah. Somebody beat me to it. Oh, really? <laughs> Some young whippersnapper. I don't know. Okay, so, but let it be known, you are the original recipe. <laughs> I often see clips of you improvising, mm -hmm. and I think that just speaks to how you continue to generate movement. Um, mm. When the work is so personal... Yeah. And sometimes difficult. How do you become brave enough to dive into that space for hours and over and over? I don't know. I'm pretty melancholic. I mean, I'm pretty pretty jovial guy, but I also I love my Morrissey. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think maybe part of it is trying to create an environment that seems really trust forward and really safe. I think I have to be vulnerable. The people I'm working with have to be vulnerable. And they have to also be humble enough to know that what I'm doing is so vulnerable that I need that support. But everyone in the room, as we're talking about equity, <laughs> needs to feel supported, including the choreographer. We often forget that the person at the front of the room needs the support. We often think about yeah. the person at the front of the room leading the room. Right? Yeah, it's all about reciprocity. <laughs> With your work at City Ballet, at mm -hmm. New York City Ballet, I remember people running over here and being like, have you seen Kyle's new work? Oh, my gosh. Run away. It's so amazing. Oh, Lord, the pressure is off. Yeah. How did you start that process? How did you think about casting and costume design, which was such a huge part Crazy, of that yeah. fashion gala? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that what it's called? Yeah, the fashion, fall, fall fashion fall gala. Fall fashion yeah. gala. One of my board members, Cheryl Bergenfeld, Cheryl, you know, is a big fan of City Ballet as well as Ailey and AIM. Now she's on the AIM board. She told me about some of the dancers. And so I had my had some of them on the back of my mind from that. Even though it's kind of unheard of to do an audition at City Ballet, they allowed my first day or two to really just kind of get to learn dancers. So mm. we called a bunch into the room. That was really smart. It was mm -hmm. really helpful mm -hmm. because there's some dancers that I was like, actually I like advocated for them. Like, I have to have that dancer. And then I tried them in the process and... Even if they look good in the material, the way they responded and the way they would ask a question, I was like, oh, yeah, this energy ain't right right now. Like, maybe let's come back in another yeah. year. But, yeah. like, this ain't right. So, like, that, I think that played a part as well. But, yeah, just trying to, I guess, learn the dancers as best I can, get feedback. Even that was ironically before Wendy was in her role that she is mm -hmm. now. But she's been a friend of mine definitely since Restless Creature. So I could reach out to Wendy. I'm like, oh, how would this person be? And so that that really helped a lot. Yes. And then the fashion part of it, it's a lot of that had to do with the conversation I had with Mark Hoppel, who is the head of wardrobe. He really is heavily involved in the selection process of the choreographer with the um, designer. Uh, um, and so he helped connect me with Giles Deacon. And Giles is just a, he's a, a lot of fun. But luckily him coming into play was at a time where like I had a sense of what I wanted to make but I didn't have that much choreography made mm. so I could talk about those ideas and see his costumes and then say okay great this is actually helping to inform how I want to move forward mm. um, so that was really helpful so you had these really outrageous outlandish you know <laughs> headpieces yeah, and costumes yeah, that, that they were, that the dancers are going to 
performing. Yeah. You had some music elements of classical music. And you then chose a section of work to Jay-Z. Jay-Z. <laughs> Jay-Z. <laughs> what was your thought process? Were yeah. you prepared for any reactions? <laughs> well, you and I are from, like, similar eras. Maybe you were in class and weren't able to watch those movies in the 80s, but, like... Oh, no, I was watching. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, like, movies like American Anthem yeah. with Mitch Gaylord mm-hmm. and uh, I think Rebecca Dormornay. It's, like, these movies where they people are doing this thing that they're not supposed to do, and you're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, stick it to them. You know? <laughs> I just love those movies. So it's, like, knowing that, like, some people walked out, I think it's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is my 80s movie dream fantasy. <laughs> um, but, like, wow. yeah, I mean, it's so good. But I think part of it for me with that dance and like choosing the music actually had to do with a lot of, I guess, two things, uh, maybe three. Um, This idea and complication behind being a black, sometimes seen as downtown choreographer in this seemingly white, seemingly uptown space. And what am I going to do? What can I do? What is the assumption of what I will do? People who don't know me may not know my relationship with classical music, may uh, make certain assumptions about whatever I'm going to use, which is layered in so many ways mm-hmm. because I don't owe it to anyone to prove my relationship to any genre of mm-hmm. music. But part of that is what I think led me to using Nico Muley is what people mm-hmm. hear for the first half of that work and choosing these different worlds because I can be just as much classical as I can be hip hop. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of allow the space to do that. What is your most cherished moving moment? Oh, Lord. I don't know. I have too many. <laughs> I have too many. Is it okay if I do more than one? Yes. Okay. I think because we talked about New York City Ballet and The Runaway, I think one of them is hearing the audience uh, reaction to Taylor doing the Nene when they did the Nene uh, because <laughs> I felt like and it made me want to cry because I felt like we were seen. That was, It was for, I put that in there for us. Someone asked me once about like me choreographing with like subliminal intention at time and mm-hmm. I do. But for us to feel like connect to that moment was so special for me. That language, that yeah. movement language. Yeah, just like mm-hmm. hearing the audience react. I was like, oh, you know, my people were here. <laughs> you know, also ironically connected to that, but also connected to Ailey. I'm not going to cry right now because it, it, it gets me every time I think about it. But when the dancers at Ailey and, and Chaya sent me a message before my premiere mm. at New York City Ballet, I felt so supported. Mm. And it just like came out of the blue that it, yeah, it just blew me away. Just that Aww. level of kindness. Yes. Um, yeah, it just... That that does make yeah. me cry because I yeah. know I know the spirit of Alien, definitely mm-hmm. of Chaya, to say, like, look at these incredible artists mm-hmm. who are representing us all over the world. Yeah. Thank you so much for your yeah. friendship. Hey, and always. And for this discussion today. <laughs> always. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Moving Moments. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Be sure to follow the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up with future episodes, follow us on Instagram at Moving Moments Podcast and visit us at artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist's moving moments. <laughs>